0: invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 we'll be picking up with verse 22 this morning. Um, last week we preached probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bible in John three sixteen. but following that we are going to get to see um, a passage that helps us understand what it actually means to be a friend of Jesus. You know, there are a lot of things that, that bind us uh, to other people in this, in this world. And, and certainly we can think of the, the relationships of, of, of family. We can think of, you know, if we are employed or if we have some other allegiance. But, but there's something really interesting about friendship. You know, friendship is that thing where there is, there is no one forcing you to be friends with someone else. But when you have a true connection with someone, you become friends with them, you will go to any kinds of lengths to do what you need to do to help your friend. A true friend will do that. Um, when I think about friendship, you know, Jesus used the word neighbor. I also think about the word friendship when we think about the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Think about this. Even though the good Samaritan and, and, and the Jew that had been robbed and beaten and left for dead, even though they didn't know each other before that, wouldn't you say that the good Samaritan was a friend uh, to the man that was beaten and robbed? And, and at his own expense, he was willing to go that extra mile, so to speak, to help that man. That, to me, is friendship. That is, that is what we do, is we do what our friend needs to help. And then when the time comes that we're in need, our friend is also there to meet our needs. Well, uh, through the years, many people have claimed to know him, follow him, and even love him. And others have said that they, uh, that they do everything for his glory, as far as Jesus goes. But in this passage, it is made clear to us what a friend of Jesus is genuinely like And so we're going to be looking at this from the perspective of John the Baptist, what he did in order to be a friend to Jesus. And then we have a little portion of this where John the, writer, the, John, the, the Gospel writer tells us how we're supposed to understand some of the things that we've just seen. And it helps to reinforce how we understand uh, John's words and John's actions. Really, if we had to boil this down to one sentence and say, what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? The sermon in the sentence is this. Jesus is above all, and we should ensure that he is the Lord of our lives. And so I want to read this passage. It's not very long. John chapter 3, verse 22 through verse 36. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan... Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. So, as we look at this first part, where John and his disciples are having this conversation, what we 're going to see is a lesson in faith and humility. The way that John is a friend to Jesus is his faith and his humility. so let 's look at this. John the writer does not tell us how long Jesus stayed in Jerusalem after his uh, visit or his meeting with Nicodemus, but when he did leave, he went into the rural areas of Judea so You have the the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus spent some time ministering there, but then he would go into the countryside, out into the rural areas uh, where he might minister in a a different sort of way. And remember, toward the end of chapter 2, it said that there were people that saw the signs of Jesus uh, and and believed in those signs, but Jesus didn't bring them in or accept them as disciples uh, because in, in his heart he knew their heart. But in this case, as Jesus is in this countryside, he's, he is baptizing. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but he is receiving these people as disciples, so their conversion, their belief in Jesus must be genuine. It's about him, not about what he can do. So at this time, Jesus was gaining more followers, and these seem to be true followers because Jesus permitted them to be baptized. Now we learn just a little bit later in this gospel that Jesus himself didn't baptize, but his disciples did, but they baptized in his name. And so that's what was going on here is that as, as Jesus's ministry is beginning to pick up steam, people are coming to him. They're hearing his teaching, they're seeing the signs that he is working, and they are becoming convinced that he is the Messiah. Remember, this is the the electricity that's going through all of Judea and really all of the region of, of what we would consider Palestine at that time was we want to see the Messiah. We want God to send the Redeemer, to send the Deliverer back. And they're hearing the words of Jesus, seeing His signs, and they're saying, this is the man. And so they are being baptized and they're being brought in as disciples of Jesus. Now, we don't know how many of these stuck and how many of these might have fallen away. But at that particular time, they were, they, were, they were disciples that Jesus was receiving. And remember, he did not take everyone, but only those that in his heart knew were truly committed. So as it turns out, John the Baptist was in the same countryside baptizing because he had not yet been put into prison. Uh, that's in parentheses in my Bible. It's just kind of a little reminder that Jesus and John the Baptist were ministering at the same time. Now imagine being in Judea at that time where you've got Jesus, the Son of God, sent from God, declaring the truth of of, of heaven, the, the truth of salvation, proclaiming the gospel. You've got John the Baptist calling people to repentance. That would have been a great time to live and to see those things. It reminds us also that John did pay a price for his integrity. John was was probably the, the first prophet, if you will, in, in 400 years, and he was calling out the sins of 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 all the people in judea but specifically the sins of the king at that particular time and that's what got him arrested and we can cover that some other time but but john was arrested but before that he and jesus were in the same countryside proclaiming the message that god had given them at the same time now imagine that time and imagine being alive during that time it would have been something amazing um You know, it's really only in John's gospel that we learn this, that Jesus and John had, at least for a short time, maybe a couple of months, that they had ministries that were running parallel to each other. So among John's disciples, there was a debate. It seems like some of his disciples may have been arguing with another Jew that was not necessarily a disciple about purification. Now what that has to do with is the, the, the ritualistic cleansing of the body. It was kind of some of the things that the Jews thought about. The cleansing of the body and the cleansing of utensils that you would eat with. Um, and, and so it didn't take long for this conversation of cleansing to, to make its way over to baptism. We now know of John as John the Baptist, but that may not have necessarily been what they called him back in those days. Um, But we know him as John the Baptist, and so that conversation, John's baptizing, now Jesus is baptizing, is this part of purification? They may have had some question about that in some debate. Well, at some point it came up that not only was John baptizing... But so was Jesus and his disciples. And so this was going to be a question from his disciples, even though they didn't say it as a question. Essentially, what they say um, is that, let's say, Rabbi, in verse 26, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. So this was a, almost like a question. Aren't you jealous that Jesus is getting all the disciples now and, and you're not? Or, or aren't you jealous that, that the one that you baptized is now baptizing and has his ministry is larger and, and, and stronger than, than your ministry? John's already been tempted toward this end. Remember when the Pharisees or people from the Pharisees came and asked John, you know, are, what are you, why are you baptizing, that kind of thing? And the first thing he says is, I'm not the Christ. Um, and certainly, John reminds his disciples and himself and all everybody listening, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before the Christ. John did not elevate himself. He let himself be humble. And his response, kind of step by step, shows us his humility, shows us his faith. So the first thing he says in verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him, from heaven. So in this response, we're going to see how John is able to be a friend to Jesus. And so there's a couple of things. One, a true friend of Jesus trusts the will of God. John recognized that he did not earn anything that he had. He didn't earn his disciples. He didn't earn the ministry. He didn't earn any of the things that that he has. It belonged to God. God gave it to him. Everything that John had came from God. And that's something that, 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 through his faith, he recognized and it was able to make him a true friend to Christ. Can we as Christians be jealous of one another and still be friends with Christ? If our friend Jesus gives to one and doesn't give to the other, are we allowed, do we have the right to be jealous of that, whatever that is, that gift, that ministry, that whatever that is? No, we can't be that way. We have to trust the will of God. If God gives to one and takes from another, that's God's divine sovereign providence it's not something that we can argue about and certainly not something that we can be jealous about the next thing that john says after this he says you yourselves bear witness to me that i said i am not the christ but i have been sent before him a true friend of jesus never exalts himself only jesus and there really is no better example of this than john john did have a ministry And the fact that people were leaving Jerusalem and going to the wilderness in the Jordan River to see what John was doing lets us know that that ministry had some kind of impact on daily religious life, but yet, as far as John was concerned, his ministry could now decrease. He had done what he was supposed to do. He had prepared the way. He had made the way straight. The, The valleys had been raised. The mountains had been lowered. He had prepared the way for the Lord. As far as he was concerned, now he could fade away and Jesus could come to the forefront. He was not concerned. He was not he was not jealous. He was not in any way grabbing for power. If if Jesus got more disciples than John did, John didn't care. That's the point of this. And so a true friend of Jesus never exalts himself, only Jesus. We should not be elevating our name. We should not be raising up our purposes or or our plans or, or anything. We should raise up Jesus. When we are not raising up Jesus, we are not being a friend to Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Yes, He is doing His part by saving our souls and by being our Savior, but are we doing our part by exalting Jesus instead of ourselves or whatever it is that we see as important at any given time? The next thing is a true friend of Jesus loves the message of Jesus. Look at what John says next. He says in in verse 29, "...the one who has the bride is the bridegroom." So he's saying that that Jesus has the bride. Now, Now, did John have a full concept of the church or all those kinds of things? Maybe not, but he knew that the people of God were the bride of the bridegroom. And Jesus was the bridegroom, so Jesus was receiving the people of God, so Jesus was the bridegroom. And then he says, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So John loved the message of Jesus. He loved what Jesus had to say. He appreciated what Jesus had to say. He did not diminish what Jesus had to say. And he certainly had no um, reservations or or, or did not want to in any way uh, take away from Jesus' ministry in order to build his up. That's important. Do we really and truly love the message and the voice of Jesus Christ? If so... When we see a thing in the world and and it goes against the Word of God, but the world is all for it, we must not stand for that thing. We must stand for the Word of God. Even if it is inconvenient, even if it is not good for us, we must stand with Jesus. We must love the words of Jesus more than we love the words of this world. And then John makes it very plain in verse 30 He must increase, but I must decrease. A true friend humbles himself so that others can see Jesus. Is it possible for a man to shine so bright that you can't see the Jesus that he's preaching? Maybe. But what we do know is that if we promote ourselves, if we promote our organization, if we promote our plan, if we promote this and that and the other, people are going to get a confused message. We need to promote Jesus Christ. He is the one that saves What is our mission here on this earth? Well, the Bible makes it pretty plain that in the Great Commission, we're to make disciples. We've got to point people to Jesus. That's what we've got to do. All the other things can be taken care of by other people. That's their business. That's what they do. That's what the world does is it goes on doing things that it thinks is important. But we have been commanded to make disciples to point people to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. And so if that means that we decrease so that he increases, then let us decrease. Let us fall into obscurity. Let us be those who have no names so that the name of Jesus may be known. That's what John was doing. He was becoming obscure. He was becoming unimportant so that the world would know who Jesus was. And so that was what John did. Now, as we look at starting in verse 31, um, you almost just have to pay attention to punctuation, but this is the point where John the Baptist stops talking. And and John, the gospel writer, starts talking. And so we have a different conversation. And and, and very simply put, what John is saying is that Jesus is the way. He is making that plain for us that Jesus is the way. So verse 31 through 36, John is almost giving you a commentary to help you understand the things that we have read and seen up to this point. So both Jesus and John were sent from above. So they were above other people. So in verse, 20, or verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. Both Jesus and John were the, the result of angels declaring that they would be born. They were sent by God to mankind to give a message, to proclaim things. And John has prof- fulfilled his ministry and Jesus is now working on his Now, John was of the earth. Remember, John was born to a a human father and a human mother in the normal way. And so he was of the earth. And so what he did was an earthly ministry. It was above other ministries, but it was still an earthly ministry. But Jesus, on the other hand, came from heaven. So he is above all and his ministry is far reaching and everlasting. You see, John's ministry was temporary. It ended. And it it did not expand to all of Israel. But Jesus' ministry is eternal. It is going on forever and ever, and it is reaching all people. In fact, the Bible says that all nations and all tongues will gather before the Lord and give Him glory. So we know that Jesus will be proclaimed among all the nations. That is something that is very important for us to remember. So John is helping us to understand that Jesus' ministry is not just something that that, that happened in the first century. Jesus' ministry is universal. Jesus came from above. He is above all others, and His Word his ministry his works the signs that he did the sacrifice that he made is for all time not just for that time so the next thing we see is that although jesus is jesus is teaching the mysteries of god as the only one on earth who has ever personally witnessed them most people will not believe his words It says that he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks earthly ways. He who has come from heaven is above all. Verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. This is a sad truth. But Jesus did come from heaven. He did declare what he knows about the Father because... He and the Father know each other. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. They are one. They know each other. Jesus proclaimed who God was and people didn't recognize it. Jesus proclaimed what it takes to get to heaven and people didn't accept it. Jesus was giving a first-hand eyewitness account, but people didn't listen. You know, it is is sad. It is really, really sad. But there are going to be many people who have sat and listened to the word of God proclaimed. They've read the word themselves. They they have maybe done all kinds of things that are related to Christianity. But when they come before God, he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And they're going to want to know why. Well, it's because they never actually received the words of Jesus. They didn't receive what he was saying. There are parts of Christianity that that all kinds of people would agree with. But there are some parts that only true believers will accept. To think that we, even doing our best, are lost. That we are sinful. That we are without hope except for Jesus Christ. To think that we are in that state. That's difficult for people to accept. To say that, that even someone who is the victim of all sorts of terrible things in their lives, they can still be com- commit sin and be held accountable for that sin. The Bible says that. But our world says if you're a victim, you can't be a sinner also. We should not listen to the world. Because heaven forbid we do not proclaim the gospel to a victim because they can't possibly be sinners also. We are all in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And there is only one way to get that, that is to come to Jesus Christ, to repent of our sins, to trust in Him as our Savior and follow Him for the rest of our days as our Lord. That was the words of Jesus. That was His testimony. And there are not many who will listen. There are false believers who claim the name of Jesus but deny His power and His authority. There are There always have been. There has always been a false church among the true church. Among the true, born-again believers of Jesus Christ, there have been actors. There have been people pretending. There have been people who have led without the power of God. There have been people who have preached without the truth of God in them. There have been people who have done everything that true believers do, but they have done it absent the power of God. They are false. They are pretenders. It's always been that way. Why do you think there are so many commands in the Bible to be vigilant? to be wakeful, to pay attention because there is deception. There is deception. How do we guard against that? Well, we know the words of Jesus. We know what the Bible says. And so we can guard ourselves from those that might seek to circumvent what God is doing. Do we believe that Satan is the enemy of the church? Well, absolutely. How does an enemy act? He tries to stop his enemy from doing something. Wouldn't we believe that Satan has made his way into the church over and over again, trying to stop us, trying to rob us of the power that we have, trying to change what we're doing into something that might be good, but it will not be gospel? Certainly Satan is trying. Certainly he is trying. And in every generation we have to fight that fight. There are the ones who would pervert the truth. They would strive for the approval of mankind and seek control over other Christians. This has been in every generation. There's been a church, there have been people who have, who have tried for power of, of man, tried for worldly approval instead of that of God. can see, God's kingdom is not of this world, but mankind's always trying to build a worldly kingdom. We need to recognize that what God is doing is not physical, it is spiritual And so the things that people do on the physical side, the goal of that, if we minister, we are ministering so that we can share the gospel. If we are doing things, we are doing it so that we can proclaim Jesus Christ so that people can know Him and therefore be saved. No matter what physical need you have, no matter what emotional need you have, it does not compare to the need of a Savior. We have to proclaim that need. We must meet that need in the lives of people. The true believers of Jesus believe in the truth of God even when that truth is unpopular with the world. And it is unpopular with the world. There are things that we could talk about this morning that I don't think that we should, but there are things we could talk about where the world agrees. The world would stand up and say, yes, this is good. And the church, much of the church would say, yes, this is what we believe. But if you read scripture, no, it's not what we believe. It's not what Jesus has proclaimed. And we need to stay true to the Word of God, stay away from the things that are false, stay away from the things that are not what God would have us to believe. What John is indicating is that most people miss the testimony of Jesus. Most people miss it. And so we've got to be careful. We have to be aware. Verse 32 says, yet no one receives his testimony. Most people miss it. Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. That God is true. We know that Jesus is the Son of God because every word has been proven true and every sign has been witnessed. For a long time I wondered, why was there Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why do we have three four tellings of the same story? Well, those are witnesses. We have twice as many witnesses as is required for a thing to be true. And they tell of the signs of Jesus. They tell of the teachings of Jesus. They tell of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. We have witnesses to all the things that Jesus did. We also have evidence of all the things that Jesus taught and we have seen the truth of those things. When we look at Scripture, it has provided for us all the evidence we need to know that Jesus is true. And so then when we read Jesus and listen to what He's saying, then we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we trust Him, that we believe Him, that He is true. Now, the Bible talks of the Spirit that God gave Jesus. It says, "For he in, in verse 34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Spirit of God rested on Jesus uh, to do great works, and now the same Spirit has been given to us without limit. It is very clear as we study the life of Jesus that He was walking on dangerous ground with mankind his entire ministry. All along he was challenging their authority. All along he was contradicting their traditions. All along he stood against what most mankind stood for. Because he was there to save souls, not to make people feel good, not to build worldly kingdoms, and and certainly not to make people feel like what they had done was in some way valuable or worthy. Jesus never did that. That same spirit... And you might say, well, I, I, can't do, I can't walk on water. You might say, that I can't just speak to a fig tree and watch it wither. And you can name any of the other signs, and, and maybe you can't do those things. But th- that Spirit gave Jesus the power, the message, and the courage to stand in the face of the powers that be in the world and proclaim the truth. You can do that. You can do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. He has granted us that power. That strength, without limit, without measure. That's something that we must remember. God's love for Jesus means that he has given him lordship over everything and has given his true friends eternal life. Look what he says. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. And whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Those that reject Jesus remain under the judgment and wrath of God and there is no other help for them. This is why Jesus is the way. Because there is no other way. There is nothing else that can save people's souls. There is nothing else that can forgive sin. You see, there's coming a day when this light that John spoke of will return to this earth. And it will shine on all the dark places. It will tell everything that we have done. And there's not going to be a great scale that weighs our evil works against our good works and so long as it balances, then then we are okay. That's not the picture that the Bible paints. It says that those whose names are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they are saved. But those who are not are cast into the lake of fire. This is not about what we have done in our lives. It is about what we have done with our lives. If we take our lives and place them in Jesus, we are saved. And that's the only salvation that is offered in this world. You search the other religions, they don't offer salvation. They they don't offer a path to redemption. Only Jesus does that. And so we have to trust in Jesus. The only way for us to have eternal life is to believe on Jesus and follow him wherever he leads. When he was encountering his disciples in the world, he gave a very simple command, follow me, follow me. It was very simple, but it was not necessarily easy. Even in that day, people had homes, they had lives, they had jobs, they had everything else that ties us down and keeps us from just leaving and going. But Jesus said, follow me. Now those first disciples literally had to give up some of those things. They had to give up homes and jobs and things like that and go with Jesus wherever the Spirit led Him. And these days, most of the time, God's not saying, get rid of your home, get rid of your job and do exactly what I say, but He is saying, follow me in your daily life. saying every day, let's devote this day to the Lord, do what He says, follow His commands and be obedient what he's asking us to do he's not asking he's commanding we obey that command we follow jesus all the way to eternal life we reject that command the wrath of god remains upon us so to wrap this up there are many in this world who pretend to be christians for various reasons you know in 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 the older days it was popular it was good to be a christian it was what everybody did everybody went to church well not so much anymore But whatever their reason, false believers have always done harm to the cause of Christ because they do not follow His will. How many of you have ever heard someone say, well, I don't go to church because the place is just full of hypocrites? Well, we have a reputation. Not all of it has been earned by true born-again Christians, but those that are in the midst the false brothers, as, as the New Testament would call them, those that are in the midst have, have lived lives that, that haven't honored God. Now, some born-again Christians have also fallen. They have made mistakes. They have done things that have brought harm upon and, and stained the name of the church, the, 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 the bride of Christ. We need to live and walk worthy of that calling. And we need to be sure that we don't give power, that we don't give credence to those who are false brothers and sisters in Christ. Seeking to do what is wise in their own eyes, they have made us all look like fools. We should follow the pattern of faith and humility that we see in John, John the Baptist. We obey God's will for our lives while constantly pointing the praise to Jesus. There should never be a point where our name is on a marquee, surrounded by lights blinking and flashing. That should not be the case. It should all be about Jesus. We trust God's plan even if it means pain, problems, or obscurity for us. You know, there was a whole line of of books that came out about leaving a legacy. And and, and the, the spirit and the heart of those books were really, really good. But the idea that we would be remembered is not completely biblical. Whether I'm remembered or not if because of my words and actions Jesus is remembered, that's what the point of my life is. Let people know about Jesus, not about us. In the end, we will be lifted up by Jesus, given a crown, and live eternally with Him in glory. So, there are rewards. Had we rather have those rewards here on earth, or had we rather have those rewards in glory, in eternity? Jesus is offered... ...for us to have eternal life... ...and to have those rewards then. So we delay. We delay any glory. We delay any praise. We delay any kind of exaltation... ...until that day when Jesus chooses... ...and sees fit to give it to us. And in that day, it is truly ours. We are not robbers of glory... ...but we are deserving. And so let us serve God. Let us be faithful. And let us allow Jesus... ...when He sees fit to lift us up. But until then... Let's lift him up. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time to gather together. And I pray that we each can truly be called friends of Jesus. That we would be humble. That we would believe your word. That we would trust your plan and your will. That we would exalt Jesus above anything else, including ourselves. And that we would be willing to go anywhere, to do anything, to sacrifice anything, to pay any price in order to serve Jesus faithfully. Make us true friends and followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.